What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, a Fed recap. The U.S. central bank's most aggressive move in 28 years, and the doors open for another one next month. Clearly, today's 75 basis point increase is an unusually large one, and I do not expect moves of this size to be common. Plus, the Fed says inflation this year will likely be even higher than we thought. You know, you have to be on alert. It doesn't mean something nasty is going to happen. No. But it, 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 it's out there. We're checking in with economists like CNBC's Steve Leisman and Allianz chief economic advisor, Mohamed Alarian. We need a more honest Fed. We need a Fed that first acknowledges why it got its inflation forecast so wrong for so long. What the Fed got right and wrong with CNBC's John Ford. Well, if policymakers had accurately gauged reality, they should have been at 75 all along and considering 100. It's Thursday, June 16th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the morning after. This is Squawk Box. This is CNBC, and we are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Mike Santoli. Andrew is off today. Yes, it's the morning after, and the market is rethinking some of what it thought yesterday. We got that Fed decision. It was 75 basis points, as had been telegraphed. Good afternoon. I will begin with one overarching message. We at the Fed understand the hardship that high inflation is causing. We're strongly committed to bringing inflation back down, and we're moving expeditiously to do so. Clearly, today's 75 basis point increase is an unusually large one, and I do not expect moves of this size to be common. From the perspective of today, either a 50 basis point or a 75 basis point increase seems most likely at our next meeting. We will, however, make our decisions meeting by meeting, and will continue to communicate our thinking as clearly as we can. Yesterday, stocks were up, but this morning you do see the bounce back, the give back. You know, we saw last in the May Fed meeting, big rally on the day of when, when Jay Powell seemed to discount the possibility of a three-quarter uh, uh, point gain, uh, rise this meeting. We got the three quarters. It was as expected. There was some signs of flexibility in the press conference. Uh, and then last time, it did unwind the next day. So I do think it's about... It's great that there might not be 75s as far as the eye can see, but the sense out there that the Fed is willing and is now stating it might have to restrain the economy quite a bit to get its inflation job done is, is, is sinking it. I think this morning, just the idea of the Swiss National Bank, which, by the way, was not expected to raise rates at all and raised by 50 basis points, it feels a little like a reminder of 2008-2009 when you saw this global liquidity crunch and everything came in between that and the ECB emergency meeting yesterday, it's a reminder that, man, there's a lot of liquidity that is out there, and it's not just the Fed that is going to be doing tightening here. They, they don't mess around. When they finally do something, the Swiss, um, they've thought about it, I think. They're very neutral, usually, Famous. about a lot of things. And, and we've noticed when we go to Davos, if the train's going to be there at, like, 801, 
it, I think someone gets fired if it's there at 802. I do. I, it, it, it is very organized. Organized. <laughs> so um, to see a surprise like that, that had to be once again, it's like, what do they know that we don't know? It reinforces the idea that central banks everywhere are in, you know, urgent slash desperate mode to chase inflation and get get on top of it. Uh, it's really just caused the bond market volatility to tick up again. So I think one of the reasons stocks could rally yesterday is bonds were kind of calm, kind of eased back in yields, and now you have global yields kind of, uh, you know, kind of getting jerked higher with this. this when market. I got here early, he was already here, and I get here, you know, 515, 520 or something, and he was sitting there, like the early bird, you know, he's eating, you know, you got the worm, and you're a bookend. You're here now, you're going to be here at the end of the day, so uh, you, you are able to, cons- to think about a lot of things. But we've already had, I, I, the discussion we had was, I said, in the past, what, would, what interest rate would it take to harness inflation in the past? It doesn't seem like three and a half or four percent would do it. And well, particularly not with inflation at eight percent. But and with a two percent target, do they still have a two percent target? Is that their dual mandate? Two percent is the target they're willing to tolerate. Of course, above that. Well, I would hope that they're willing to tolerate that. Because listen, I think the big thing that that the market's concerned with is yes. And Powell reinforced yesterday they're targeting headline inflation. That's what they do. And if you're worried about inflation expectations which they seem to have been after the University of Michigan report, that's gas prices, kind of. Well, how do you, and so you're kind of targeting we, gas prices one way or another, and that's not something you that you can do it. without slowing you the economy had to a fix, lot. Right, if you had to fix $120 oil only with the demand side of things, that's just a terrible choice. Right. I mean, look, you, you hope to get lucky, and one tw- again, it's year over year. We're measuring the change. It's not like it has to plunge for them to get their but job. It, but it's not just oil prices. It's also the lack of refineries. So right that's now, all. at $120 oil, that, you're still dealing with much higher thing, yeah. gas prices than we've dealt so with in the past. So if you can't do anything about the supply, yeah. if your only tool is demand, you really have to hit demand hard, which is a, no, we don't want that. None of us want to not travel because we can't afford well, you don't gas. Want, you not, don't want the recession that comes with it and the job losses and the that's a blunt that force nobody tool. wants any of it the moves in the treasury market i heard art cashin speaking yesterday about 1994 with the surprise move from the fed and what that meant for orange county with the bankruptcy because of the crazy things that they were betting on um that's the the dislocations that you kind of wait to see after a shakeup and after a move like this too got to be braced for accidents absolutely and it's more the bond market volatility that's where the volatility has been if you look at the bond market's version of the vix it's been making new highs and that's the thing that destabilizes capital markets. And, you know, you have to be on alert. It doesn't mean something nasty is going to happen. No. But it, 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 it's out there. You've got to add crypto to, to your destabilizing events. Exactly. That's, yeah. the, that's another. It, it was $3 trillion, It's now $975 billion, the, the entire market. That's not big enough to, to be systemic like a, like a bond or a currency no. uh, effect. But it still could be troubling if, if you know. I don't know, at, at 18,000, what happens to MicroStrategy? What happens to um, Binance, Coin, even Coinbase? What happens to, to all the, and, and why are they so, uh, at this point, tied to 20 when it was, they were in business when it was 8,000? So suddenly all the leverage. Because, because yes, they yeah. borrowed. Well, that's heavily. not good. Let's get to uh, Steve Leisman with more on what we heard from Jay Powell yesterday and what it uh, means uh, for the markets. Uh, what did you think of, of just, Jay was pretty even, he never really changes that much, does he, uh, Steve, in, in terms of, and that's good, he's just, 
very level. Joe, you're more observant than that, I would think. You didn't notice the big change? I didn't think he looked scared. I didn't think he looked... Um, you missed it, my friend. You missed it. The tie. The tie. Oh. <laughs> Wears a purple tie every time to the, to the meeting. Like the briefcase indicator? P powder blue yesterday. I don't know. Maybe powder blue is the new 75. Hard to know. But I, you got to be you a gotta, whole new... That could know, be a Joe, whole new thing we do here, you, Steve. Like, you're like a bit the of a fashionista, Joe. I'm surprised you missed that. You're the kind of guy I who... I totally missed that. But in general, didn't you think that... He didn't telegraph any change in, in the way... I want him to just... Bear his soul. And I did, we didn't really, he doesn't, he's not going to do no, that. No, no. And I'm going to get to that in just a second, Joe, because of his answer to my question. I want to talk about it. You know, the Fed delivers the massive 75 base point rate hike and forecast is going to do a lot more. I'll show you that in a second. But Powell acknowledged he couldn't say if it was too much or too little. Here's what he said in the press conference when I asked him if the new 3.8% median forecast from Fed officials for the funds rate next year would be enough to solve the inflation problem. I think it, it's certainly a, a, a in the range of plausible numbers. I think we'll know when we get there, really. I mean, I, honestly, that, that would be, you would have positive real rates, I think, and inflation coming down by then. I think you'd have positive real rates across the curve. Um, I think that, the, you know, the neutral rate is pretty low these days. So uh, I, I would think it would. But you know what? We're going to find that out empirically. We're not, we're not going to be completely model-driven about this. The new forecast published by the Fed represented one of the sharpest changes between quarters since the Fed began publishing them. Here we go. 3.4 for this year, it was 1.9. 3.8 for next year, it was 2.8. And then you see he's got their own cuts built in because they're going to solve that inflation problem. So they say long run remains unchanged at, or at least a little bit higher, 2.5%. Powell said a soft landing had gotten harder now, but that it was not the Fed's intention to induce a recession and held out some hope. One could be avoided. As for the next meeting, 50 or 75, he said it could go either way. Uh, we just have to wait for the numbers, especially the inflation numbers. But this morning, Joe, the market trading with a 78% probability of a 75 basis point rate hike. We would like, and it, uh, did, you, did you hear Judy Shelton give, throw you a, just a huge compliment yesterday, Steve? Were you watching when she said that? I, I didn't. I didn't uh, know. That was nice. But... What did she say? She just said that, that kudos to Steve Leisman for asking the most important uh, question, which everything's been based on, really, since you asked that question, whether, whether you know, now we know that that wasn't the right answer. Um, may, may, I, may I just quickly it was remark, the right Joe? Just, okay. It was the right can question, I, just not the right answer. Can I remark it was the dumbest, simplest, most obvious question I have ever asked at a press conference in 20 years. It's, it's like, I guess, when you have a... Uh, an easy target, you know, just try to step back and not miss it. I'm gonna, now I'm going to get deep in the weeds. And so, so her, her piece today in the journal, her op-ed piece, is that we don't need artificially high or low rates. We need real rates. We need real rates for price discovery. And, and we need to get there. How do you get, what is the real rate when we can't control energy prices? I, I don't believe, it's really not 8%. The, the, the wage price underlying inflation rate is probably nowhere near that. So it's skewed by that, and we really can't control, the Fed can't control the supply, the supply side. Yeah, I, I, I want to add to that interesting conversation you guys were having just before I came on here, which was this notion that Mike was, was bringing up, and you guys were all talking about that, and you were, Joe, that the Fed can't control oil prices, and yet it has to set um, uh, policy to the oil price. Just to add to that, the thing that Powell pointed out was that Gas prices set inflation expectations, and the Fed 
is very worried about inflation expectations. So that's the complicating factor. If, if, if the Fed could, it would ignore a spike in a price like energy and say, you know, we're going to go and do policy this way and let energy go like this. But if in energy is the thing that sets inflation expectations and they run high and the result is that the expectations become unanchored, then the Fed has a real problem. Now, it could be that what happens is gas prices come down and inflation expectations go back to where they were. The Fed doesn't have a problem. So it's a question as to how much the Fed should talk about. A lot of economists this morning are talking about just what you guys were talking about, this notion of changing what we're looking at and what should be the, 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 the focus of policy to the headline number from the core number. I can't imagine trying to get to 2%. That seems... Uh like an archaic number. We're never going to get there, Steve. It, it, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to do it when the entire world is burning uh, it, with inflation. Well, I think it's a question of, the, of timing. They don't think yeah. they're getting to two, Joe. They, the, Fed, the Fed has 2.3% in 2024. That's two years from now. So they're even acknowledging they can't accomplish their, their own stated goal over the two-year period. Steve, thank you. Next up on Squawk Pod, tracking moves from central banks around the world. The concerted effort to curb the damage that's been done with Allianz Chief Economic Advisor, Mohamed Alarian. This is the great awakening. The great awakening of central banks to the fact that they are way behind on inflation. Words are not enough. Actions are needed. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Mike Santoli, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Mohamed El Arian, Allianz and Gramercy Advisor and Queens College, Cambridge president, joins us here. Great to see you. Good morning, Mike. Good to have you here. So, um, so much being thrown together all at once in a short period of time. It's always been the case for months now that... The path to a potential soft landing was always going to be narrow, in doubt, bumpy. Uh, seems more so, but there seems a Fed acknowledgement there that, you know, or an assessment of what price might have to be paid for this fight against inflation. What's your reaction to how Powell presented things yesterday? And of course, we have other central banks chasing inflation the same way. Yeah, I mean, this is the great awakening. The great awakening of central banks to the fact that they are way behind on inflation. Words are not enough. Actions are needed. And whether it's a 75 basis points yesterday or whether today the Swiss National Bank, which is more significant, I know that sounds strange, but that is more significant than what happened last night. That is an illustration of that. Why is it more significant? Because the Swiss National Bank always fights a strong currency. For it to get ahead of the ECB and hike not 25 but 50 
shows you that we are in the midst of a secular regime change. And this is going to be fundamental to the economy and to markets. Historically, the, the, the SNB is, is more aligned with what the U.S. Fed does, what the ECB does. What the ECB does. And so this is to, to align with us is different then. Correct. And to get ahead of the ECB is significant. No, Because they think the ECB is wrong or because they're fighting inflation, they need a stronger currency to help their people along the way with this. They've got to try and shut this down. So both, because they think the ECB is slow because of so-called fragmentation. The ECB is worried about Italian spreads. It's worried about the fact that it's, it's making monetary policy for, for, for very diverse. That's A. And B, no one wants a weak currency. They look at Japan. They look at the United Kingdom. They don't want to be there. Yeah, once again, illustrating how difficult the whole uh, experiment in, in Europe is with, with different economies that are with the same, I mean, it's crazy. Can they ever get it right? Mul they used to call multi-speed economies, remember? Multi-speed economies, that's one. But, but I think also, and Joe, this is one thing that you and I agree on. It's about time we exit this artificial world of predictable massive liquidity injections where everybody gets used to zero interest rates where we do silly things, whether it's investing in parts of the market we shouldn't be investing or investing in the economy in ways that don't make sense, zombie companies, etc. We are exiting that regime and it's going to be bumpy. Well, it, and it's going to be painful then because we have tried to minimize the pain for, what, 13 years. We didn't, you know, pain from the financial crisis, the pandemic, everything. Is there a day of reckoning? Is this, it's now. Yes, 8.6% inflation is the day of reckoning. You cannot ignore 8.6% inflation. Mohammed, um, there's a way of presenting things, and maybe Powell maybe nodded in this direction a couple of times, which is financial conditions have tightened a lot. Yes, it hasn't just been words, but their words for the last six or seven months have gotten, you know, mortgage rates up where they are right now. We saw the effect on new home sales, credit uh, spreads, and things like that. Um, equity valuations, right? I mean, the move from very easy levels of financial conditions to maybe neutral, maybe getting restrictive, has been dramatic. Um, does that leave us in a position at some point in the relatively near future where uh, the Fed can say, uh, maybe we'll just see how this plays out and, uh, and, 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 see, and see if growth can survive it? No, because if, if the Fed doesn't validate the markets, then we'll get an even more disorderly outcome. Mike, there's three tests. One, have financial condition tightened? Yes, they have. Two, have they tightened in an orderly fashion or somewhat of a disorderly fashion? We more towards a somewhat of a disorderly, not completely disorderly. But three, has the Fed been leading the process or lagging the process? And the Fed has been lagging the process. And as long as the Fed lags the process, uh, it's going to be problematic for markets. We were talking earlier uh, about this, and it's been a topic of discussion since the meeting, which is the fact that Powell is, is, is leaning quite a bit, it seems, on the inflation expectations factor, uh, and especially from the University of Michigan, so consumer inflation expectations, which is essentially a proxy for gas prices. I mean, in, you know, if you strip it down. Um, at the same time, you know, he talked about how yeah, you have to focus on headline inflation, not core, meaning that's mostly also gas prices. Other commodities, by the way, well off their highs for the most part. It's really energy that's driving things. Um, that seems to be a little bit of a trap potentially, right? Because they can do what they can to, to suppress demand across the economy. But, uh, but if gasoline and, and energy remain stubborn, uh, they're going to over-tighten at some point? Yeah, but first he has no choice. You know, we, you and I can talk about the refinement of core PCE and everything else, but when inflation is this high, it is headline that matters because inf people's expectations are influenced by headline. And if headline stays high, 
I not only come to see you as my boss and say compensate me for past inflation, I say also compensate me for future inflation. So that's why his focus has changed. Is it a trap? Look, they are so far away from the first best. They've left the first best go through their fingers. They had it last year, they didn't respond, and now whatever they do, then deep in the world of second and third best. What are the chances that the Fed gets a little bit lucky here? In other words, that inflation, there are some signs that maybe it can settle down a little bit. Um, you know, through the summer, of course, you're going to get maybe another 50-75 for sure in July. But, but beyond that, um, are you seeing inklings of that at all? So I worry that if we see it, we'll see it for the wrong reason. Um, we are getting consistent signals that this economy is slowing, that affordability is eating into demand. And if that continues, it will tamper inflation, but for the wrong reasons. We'll then end up with another problem, which is dealing with a recession. My hope, my, my great hope, and I don't think it's going to materialize, my great hope is that somehow the Fed can buy enough time without inflation expectations get out of control. But now all of us are going to be talking about five to 10 year Michigan surveys, yeah. which we've never talked about before. Right, especially when you look at the market-based measures where they look a little bit less worrisome. Right, right. but the other one went up to 3.3%. Yeah. That is a very high number if you're covering five to 10 years. So well, Senator Portman was just saying the number one complaint he hears from his constituents is about high gas prices, and number two, food prices. And people are feeling it when they feel those things, when they see those things, I mean, they. they that catches them every day. Because demand is inelastic, what does it mean is that we continue buying even though prices are high. So we crowd out other purchases, and we saw that in the retail sales number, yes. And remember, this inflation hits the poorest particularly hard. So there's a whole social angle to this that we have to take really seriously. Well, Mohammed, you know, the, the, the cure for high prices is high prices because you get more production. And normally that's that's what we would count on, and, and time heals that. that. That does give us time. I worry, though, that about a lot of overregulation in the, in the industries that we're talking about where we need the production. And, and that's why even if we do, I'd hate to be at 8% a year from now, inflation. I would hate, that, that, would be, that would be tough because I don't know how many, I don't know where we'd be for rates. We'd be above 4%. Oh, if we had 8% inflation in a year from now, we will break quite a few things, not just in the markets, but economically and socially. So will high prices cure high prices this time around? So high prices always cure high prices via destroying demand, right? And you'll see it in commodities. But that's not how you want to solve this issue. That's what's called a really no, hard landing. When the supply comes up, people say, hey, I, look what I can get for copper. I'm going to go start another mine. But takes time. Does takes take time. time. You know, the Fed officials have consistently said, we're operating from a position of strength. The economy had momentum coming into this year. Consumer balance sheets look okay. Corporate balance sheets look fine. You don't see the excesses having built up. Um, that may be true, but it also is what they would say if maybe it weren't as true, I, I would imagine. And you have this idea that the Fed is targeting job openings uh, as if you can essentially eliminate jobs that nobody is holding. <laughs> and that's not going to sacrifice people who hold jobs. Now, in the, in the numbers yesterday, they did acknowledge that maybe they expect unemployment rate to drift higher. You know, can we take any comfort in the fact that on a nominal basis, the economy did have a fair bit of momentum? So the economy does have momentum. The labor market is strong. I just wish there was high labor force participation. Yeah. But Mike, you're pointing to something more fundamental. We need a more honest Fed. We need a Fed that first acknowledges why it got its inflation forecast so wrong for so long. 
The ECB has, the Fed hasn't. To this day, the Fed hasn't explained what went wrong in their forecast. And until it does so, it's not going to regain inflation credibility. And second, it has to be honest. A lot of people criticize the Bank of England for being honest, but that's what you need. It's an apolitical institution full of technocrats that have to be honest with the American people. Otherwise, you're going to mislead people and then you're going to get a really negative reaction. Well, we'll see uh, if, we, if we get that. We have six weeks or so till, uh, till the next meeting and a lot of talk before then. Mohammed, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheese will be next. So now you're caught up on what the Fed decided and some of the repercussions economists are looking out for. But was it the right decision? Both sides of that answer with CNBC anchor John Ford. It's going to take a serious intervention to get this economy to sober up and take responsibility for its choices. Squawk Pod will be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod, where we're recapping the Fed meeting with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, Mike Santoli, and a cameo from one of our other CNBC anchors, John Fort. The Federal Reserve uh, raised benchmark interest rates three quarters of a percentage point yesterday, its most aggressive move in 28 years, and said more of the same could be coming next month. Did the Fed say and do the right thing? John Fort uh, is here to weigh in. This is a natural, but at the end, I want to suggest a future OTOH for you. Always, I, hey, suggestion box is always open, Joe. Is it and way up in a tree? Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> 75 basis points was the right move by the Fed. And Chair Powell's tone was just right on future hikes, which is why Treasuries and then stocks responded the way you'd hoped yesterday anyway. Uh, Reigning in an overheated economy is like disciplining an unruly teenager who's sneaking out, partying, and buying crypto on margin. You've got to apply consequences that make their risky behavior more costly and lay down the law, but you can't go so over the top that you crush their confidence and send them into a depression or a steep recession. And look, half a percentage point, 50 basis points, sounded reasonable until we heard about that 8.6% inflation rager they threw at the House in May. Way too many items getting way too high. Just totally unacceptable. You turn your back one minute, they think they can act out like Venezuela. But the important part, beyond the hike itself, is the message is getting across. Mortgage rates shot up to 6.28% on the 30-year fixed in anticipation of this move. Refinance activity has fallen off quickly, and home builder sentiment fell for the sixth straight month to the lowest level in two years. Crypto's cooling. 
Headlines about layoffs suggest the labor market might be loosening. And you hate to see these things happening at the individual level. But overall, this economy seems to be getting the message that any more of this foolishness and you are grounded for a long time, Joe. So couldn't you do the but even you could say 100 or 50? You got I mean, this was a three way on the you need a couple of extra hands, maybe a foot. Well, you know, fingers uh, on the other hand. Joe, to, to really get ahead of this, the Fed should have gone a full percentage point. I, I know there's no way that was going to happen, but the very fact that it wasn't being considered shows just how far behind the curve the Fed might still be. I mean, a full 100 basis points would have been a full-on scared straight visit the prison experience for this economy. And that kind of shock is probably necessary because people still have this weird desire to believe inflation isn't as serious as it is. Remember all the people crowing last month that we'd already seen the peak? It apparently took the 8.6% reading before the Fed would seriously consider 75 basis points. Well, if policymakers had accurately gauged reality, they should have been at 75 all along and considering 100. I know nobody wants to bring the hammer down too hard and break the economy's stride. Fine. But let's remember how spoiled things have gotten on too much easy money and idle time. Too many people have been rolling over their consumer debt rather than rolling up their sleeves and getting back to work. And it's going to take a serious intervention to get this economy to sober up and take responsibility for its choices. Your mother and I won't always be here to bail you out. Time to step up. So 100 basis points. Did I lose the metaphor? No, this is the, we've obviously, anyone interested in, in the markets and in business, that's, that's the main thing we're talking about, uh, John. And it's all about the Fed. I'm not, kind of wish the Fed wasn't such a big uh, part of our life. But it, this is a great discussion. I know, but uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, how, what tool do they have? Let's, let's kill the economy. That's how we're going to fight inflation. That's like counterintuitive that that's a good thing to do. My suggestion, and, and today the U.S. Open starts, Phil Mickelson is there. John, my suggestion is do the, you know, is it okay? Is it terrible? Is it, is it immoral? While the president's going over to Saudi Arabia, hat in hand, to ask for more oil, if Phil Mickelson, total earnings on the tour was $95 million. He's, that's a lot of money. But he's 52 years old now. They gave him $200 million, And he's saying, this is for my family. Dustin Johnson, this is for my family. What's right here, John? What's right? Is it okay to, to take that Saudi money when, when they're a... a they're even an ally in terms of our guys fly next to the sorties over there with with Saudi pilots. What's the right answer? Or should they have said, no, keep your money. I don't want your blood money. Do you a know? lot of people seem to come around to Saudi money eventually. Remember Elon Musk and the funding secured like that was I don't know. Right. I mean, it's a good on the other hand, isn't it? I, I can argue kind of argue. I wish those guys wouldn't. But then again, if you were 52 and you could get a lump sum, 200 million, are you supposed to say no on principle? I'm going to think about it, Joe. Will you think about it? Yeah, How long is, <laughs> and we'll know the winner of the Open by next week, yeah. too. All right. Could be Phil. Think about that. That'd be unbelievable. Probably not, though. He's, he's, too, he's I think he's got too many things going on, too many questions getting thrown at him. Thank you, Don you Ford. It. Is that water or coffee? Tea. Uh-huh. Or gin? <laughs> it's one of each. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 